we have been watching Louis Le Prince put together some curious machines in New York in the mid-1880s, a time that saw a profusion of stereographic images all around him, and a time when numerous other technologies produced cameras such as Etienne-Jules Marais' revolving shotgun camera and Wing's patent multiplying camera. And while we will press on shortly to pick apart the technological developments of Le Prince's work, we will, this week, pause briefly to remind ourselves that this is a human story as well, and not one in which Le Prince could ever work in complete isolation. Every technical decision is also a financial one, and an emotional one. Every emotion is coloured by love, debt, ambition, and the pressure caused by the technical issues involved with building a camera. Every Le Prince loved and was influenced by the others. In the middle of the years of experimentation of brass and wood and photographic strip, the family went about their lives, their teaching, their schooling, their quarrels and games and outings and adventures. And of these, we know very little. We know there was a slight sense of mischief amongst the boys in the family, but no more than you would expect or hope for in a band of youngsters. Belmont House was on the northern edge of the city and was still surrounded by trees and pastures, and the two youngest Le Prince boys, Joseph and Fernand, roamed them, playing and adventuring. Malaria was prevalent in the neighbourhoods around and thereabouts and Fernand found himself a victim to it time and again, often missing school with chills and fevers, and Joseph, who did not succumb, jealously offered up small prayers that he might fall grateful prey to the disease so that he too could miss school. And we have sight and sound of Le Prince coming back one evening from a night at the opera and playing a melody he had memorised from the performance on the piano at Belmont House. And we have Lizzie, who without drawing attention to herself, kept everything, every one, going. Or, as she did once put it, teaching the four to five hundred pupils a week in the School for the Deaf and elsewhere, and writing for art magazines until far into the night to make ends meet. And, incidentally, mothering and schooling our five active boys and girls as well as encouraging her husband, whose various plans, it seems, often met with scepticism. Such scepticism, Lizzie tells us, only made Le Prince more determined to succeed, but it must have been hard, and Lizzie seems to have been unwavering in her support. And if we were to try and find the spirit and the soul of the Le Princes, what would we do and what might we find? The meagre clues we possess are literally paper thin. The Shadow Traps, Episode 25, The Crafty Fox 
Several years ago, someone lent a series of facsimile greetings cards to a certain institution in Leeds. The original cards were done in the mid-1880s by some of the Le Prince children for their grandparents back in Roundhay. Six cards, a handful of images, a few words. All but one of the cards are painted by the children themselves. The one that is not is a Christmas card that looks nothing like a typical Christmas card, at least by today's conventions. It is of a field on a sunny day with cows and either calves or sheep lying with them in the shade of some trees. Underneath is a simple message. A peaceful Christmas. The five remaining handmade cards are by two of the children, Marie and Fernand. It is a matter of record that Marie and her sister Aimé would go on to follow their parents' lead by involving themselves with artistic pursuits, practising, teaching, even becoming involved with ceramics. Adolphe and Joseph, we know, would go on to be involved with engineering, science and medicine. Of Fernand, nothing has been written, and these small postcards come as a surprise, shocking us gently into considering the children as real people rather than supporting characters in this tale of invention and disappearance. And so, what of these last six cards? Marie has created three of them. One, from 1885, is of a delicate bunch of flowers wrapped by a banner of text which reads simply, Wishing you happiness. On the back, Joseph Whitley is written in his uncertain hand, From my little pet Mariella, 17th of October, 1885, on my 69th birthday. The other two cards form a pair, both painted on diamond-shaped pieces of card. On one edge of one card is written, For dear Grandma, with much love for Mariella. And again, there are pictures of small, delicate flowers. In the card to Joseph, the flowers have thin black outlines filled with soft washes of colour. In the picture for Sarah Whitley, there are no black outlines. The forms are given by the colour of the stems, leaves and petals. One set of flowers is suggested by the faintest of yellows in almost indeterminate shapes, almost thin smudges along the tops of the green stalks. In the second diamond, the stalks are more defined, the few leaves are larger and the flowers, two open, one closed and one merely hinted at, are purple. All these cards are beautiful. I'm struck by the softness of the colour palettes. They seem of a kind with a china painting that survives of Louis Le Prince. Pastel, almost opaque colours, lilacs and pale blues and quiet meek yellows. Each pretty picture makes for a card that was obviously treasured. Fernand Le Prince also contributes three cards to this collection. One is a still life, a painting of a plant in a pot on a round plate or mat. The pot 
looks to be a dirty terracotta and the plant has leaves and flowers that seem to be all the same colour, a dark green, although there are darker, almost purple hues on the flowers that may at one time have been brighter. His next picture is entitled Pansies and is drawn by Fernand Le Prince. On his card, Fernand has created an unwittingly modernist image, an abstract painting that, by merely suggesting the shape of the flowers, has created something at once juvenile, powerful and brilliantly economical. Within a wash of reddish-brown mud-coloured hues are the dirty cream heads of the pansies, little more than blobs that are barely contained by the soft black outlines. The stalks are cursory scratches of black. Within the flowers, small dabs of black spot the cream flower heads. He has captured them brilliantly, for pansies so often do refuse the constraints of detail and outline, flowering instead as blazes and blobs of colour, small clusters of blooming rosash tests, patterned as if they were crumpled paper on which ink had been spilled. What did that flower mean to the Le Princes? In later years, Le Prince in Leeds would write of them to Lizzie back in New York. Was it a memory of England that Fernand kept with him? Were they grown or displayed around Belmont House? Whatever, it should be noted that Fernand's palette is much darker than Marie's. His pansies are not the explosions of bright colour we associate with a flower, but a few almost morbid pools of bone-white flower heads. In fact, looking closely and at length at these flowers, they become skulls. Fernand's third picture, and again the words drawn by Fernand Le Prince grace it along the bottom edge. The picture is called The Crafty Fox, and although the wash that colours the ground tells us this is a gouache or watercolour or some other form of painting, it could just as well have been done in charcoal, as it is a scene made up of shades of grey and black. A fat fox, positively bear-like, leans forward on its hind legs, pointing, reaching somehow towards something it has seen or heard or smelt or otherwise sensed, something hidden. A fence cuts across a field a third of the way up the picture. The fox and several trees, thick black lines with foliage of angry scribbles, all in the bottom left of the picture, lean to the right, craning to see the hidden thing that seems to draw not just the fox's attention but the forest's also. Only one tree fights the direction of the rest, a branchless trunk fallen to the left and painted through the very body of the fox. It is a dark, perplexing scene. Could this have been a greetings card like the others? Who knows now? These six cards that were lent to the institution were kept in a folder. I was shown them by a curator who had for years championed the work of Le Prince. When the curator left, he placed the folder of cards away in a drawer in his office. The folder is now, it seems, lost, and despite my efforts to describe the contents and where they were put, there seems little likelihood of them appearing any time soon, if ever. 
another lost piece of the puzzle. We should press on with our work, perhaps, before more of the story crumbles away and is lost to us. Six small cards made by the Le Prince children. Tokens of love and affection, and perhaps the briefest of glimpses into the life and talents of the family. They are also, in their own sweet and strange ways, very oblique clues. But how that could be, we shall not find out for some time yet. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Shadow Traps. If you'd like to learn more about the project or to support it in any way, please go to the website at www.patreon.com forward slash The Shadow Traps. Thank you very much for listening.